start the second session on looking at uh, the life of Nehemiah and lessons we can learn that will help us to be better leaders. And uh, if we had the time, I would love to have been asked you just to, to first of all read uh, Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 9, and then uh, verses 16, and couple that with the book of Acts chapter 2 um, as a little launching pad for me uh, in this study today. But I'm just going to trust that you will read the Word of God. And another one of those things that that was so important that we can learn from Nehemiah is that he walked in the fear of God. If you look at Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 9, he says that to the enemies. Shouldn't you be walking in the fear of God? Because he walked in the fear of God with absolute devotion, doing the right things. You see in verse 16, chapter 5, verse 16, that he was doing the right things. He embraced the right things. <clears throat> and... Uh, let me see if I can just pick this up quickly, where it says, uh, the last little part of verse uh, verse 15, it says, but out of the reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for work. We did not acquire any land. And so it goes on. He devoted himself because of his reverence and fear for God to the right things, to the work that God had called him to do. And that's what they did in Acts chapter 2, from verse 42 to 47. All the believers devoted themselves, and it tells you what they devoted themselves to, the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, etc. We need to give ourselves, devote ourselves to the right things, give ourselves, in other words, prioritize what is important and what is not important for you and for the life of your church. Don't let your church get caught up in peripheral things. But be committed to, devoted to, sold out to doing what God has called us to do. And that is primarily to reveal Jesus and win the nations to Christ, soul by soul, group by group, nation by nation, if we can. And then we move on quickly. And another one of those lessons we can learn, which we began to touch on in uh, earlier the, the, the last session, is the importance of faith. But this time in the face of intimidation and distractions. Look at chapter 2, verse 6, verse 4, verse 9, verses, verse 9 through to 11. Read the first 14 verses of chapter 6, and uh, you'll see that he kept on relying upon God, as chapter 6 also in the 16th verse tells us. And then he important. this is so important as well. Another thing that we can learn from is that we, he understood the importance of faithful, anointed leadership. If you look at Nehemiah chapter 7, I'm going to just read this to you. It says, I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel. And then he tells us, well, I put these men in charge because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most men do. The importance of faithful, anointed leadership. And then also, I'm going to come back to that in a moment, he also involved people. If you look at chapter 7, verse 3, he involved people meaningfully. He didn't use them as servants, but gave them a meaningful participation and place with authority to do what God had called them to do. You know, this is a, such an important thing. I want to come back to our leadership for a moment. Like a chain, the weakest link in a chain is where it breaks. That's where it parts. 
and you are only as strong in your church as your weakest link. So let me just make the, move that from the whole of your church to your leadership, your eldership to start off with. You're no stronger than the weakest of your leaders. You could be a very strong, powerful, faithful, signs and wonders, miracle worker. But if you have people in your leadership who are not called and not anointed, because if you're not called, you will not get the anointing for leadership. And the church is full, or wherever I used to go, and even around now, I see leaders or so-called leaders in a leadership that have not been called by God because there's no anointing on them. The anointing breaks the yoke. Leadership anointing breaks the yokes. And yet nobody does anything about it. They don't realize that the whole leadership is being affected by that. <laughs> oh, I hear you. I hope you can just hear my heart on this, please. Do something about it. Ask God to, to either do something with those people that aren't called, either by calling them and anointing them or by removing them graciously so you don't have to hurt them too badly. But remember this again, you are no stronger than your weakest link. And don't bring weak believers without God's calling and anointing onto your leadership because it's disastrous. Now that's your eldership, but that's true of the deacon team too. And any other team, you want music teams to be anointed, God-called musicians, not just good musicians or singers, but God-called, God-anointed. And it just looks like we use any old person for any old thing, not realizing that God has specific callings and anointings. Anyway, we move on to the next thing. The importance of the Word of God and of unity. And we find that in Nehemiah chapter 8, the first three verses and verse 18. In chapter one, uh, chapter 8 verse 1, it says, All the people assemble as one man in the square at the water gate. All underlined. Assembled, underlined. One man, underlined. At the water gate, underlined. Unity, one heart, one mind, one spirit, one aim, one goal, together. But at the water gates, and the water gate is, represents the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 2, 5 verse 26 talks about washing of the water of the Word. And we know that the Holy Spirit is like a mighty river, wells, a well of water, a river. John 4, I think it is, and John 7, if I remember rightly. And have a look at 1 Timothy chapter 14, chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Read them for yourself. Do that, please. Stop the message. Read those two verses. And then we're talking about the Word of God also being water, washing of the water. Verse 3 tells us he read it aloud from daybreak till noon. And then it says, and the people listened attentively. 
So it wasn't just hurried, let's just get the Bible part over and let's just give my perception and perspectives on things. Let's just get back to read the, the Word of God out loud. Paul tells Timothy to do that. Give, give yourself to, to the public reading of the Scriptures out loud. But in this chapter you also see in chapter 8, verses 5 through to 7 and verse 13, that the, there was, the people had respectful anticipation. When, when I see people just drinking coffee, yawning, nodding off, joking, re looking at their iPads or their iPhones, answering, uh, giggling with their kids, when the Word of God is being preached and read, there's just no respect and there's no anticipation. And we need to graciously ask God to help us to, to show us how we can address those problems in our church. People need to come back to have a respectful anticipation for the Word of God. And then we read in the sixth verse of, of, of chapter 8, Nehemiah chapter 8, it says that we see that the people were in agreement. It's so important that people start to agree with what God's saying from the heart and get involved. They become responsive. Chapter 8, verse 6 and verse 9. They respond. Not just, Amen, yes, praise God. Well, we love that, and I believe we need more of that. But the response has to be in the heart that translates into action. Interesting thing, just while we're talking about the importance of the Word of God and of unity, in verses 7 and 8 of the chapter 8 and verse 12, we see that the priests made the word clear so that people could understand. We need to get back to simplicity, not complicated terminology, showing off our linguistic skills. Just getting back. People, children understood Jesus. Didn't have to do a university degree to understand it. Get back to simply declaring truth under the inspiration and power and anointing of the Holy Spirit. And then we see this, and we'll come back to this again later in the 13th, or 12th or 13th chapter, but we see that they knew the importance of celebration. Have a look at chapter 8, verses 10 and 12, through to 12. That celebration is the source of strength and joy in Christ. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And celebration... Joyous celebration is so important. You'll see that also in chapter 12, verses 27 to 28. And then in chapter 8, verses 13 to 18, while we're talking about the importance of the word and unity, they knew that not to settle down, and they knew its danger, that they needed to be pilgrim-hearted people. Look at verses 13 through to 18 of chapter 8. Because in a sense, those verses are the equivalent of the, of the Great Commission in the New Testament to go and to tell, as Matthew 28 tells us from verse 18 or 16 through to 21. And you can have a look at also it's Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 1. Read God's word out aloud. Well, let me go there to Nehemiah chapter 13, see I'm touching it all the time. It says here in verse 13, chapter 13, verse 1, on that day, this is when they 
for dedicating the the the, uh, the walls that were now complete. On that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the he- aloud in the hearing of the people, and 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 well, yeah, they read read it aloud. And there was separation, chapter 13, verse 2 to 9 and 23. And uh, verse 10 to 13, they were told not to neglect God's house and God's leaders. Not to neglect them. Not to take them for granted. Not to use and abuse. We need to help our people to understand that. By us as leaders, with one another and towards them, and towards our Father in heaven, to not neglect God's house or God's leaders. And part of that is so important, and I'm coming back to this under two two points away from here, but to keep one day a week as chapter chapter, um, 13 tells us, and 15 verses 15 to 27, but we'll come back to that in a moment. Another thing here we need to we can learn from this is that we're to remember ongoingly God's faithfulness. All that he had done for them, he talks about in Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 1 right through to verse 38. And in that remembering, he coupled that with the confession of their sins. In verse 8, that God had kept his promise in spite of that, that God provided guidance in chapter 9, verses 12, and 19, that God forgave their sins, chapter 9, verse 16, and 27 to 31, those verses, and that in chapter 9, verse 21, that that sustained them. Remembering God's faithfulness, confessing our sins very quickly, that God keeps his promises, provides guidance, forgives sin, and that sustained them. Nine, chapter 9, verse 21. And then we come to this other very important point here. And this is the, the importance of responsible stewardship. Irresponsible stewardship. In Nehemiah chapter 10, verses 31 to 39, it talks about being responsible stewards. Wish we could read them all, but we don't have time to. But just read that chapter 13, uh, chapter 10, verses 31 to 39. So I'm going to touch a few things here because that, that are touched in this portion. In the area of rest, verse 31. Remember this in 1 Corinthians 4, 2. It's required of a steward that he be found faithful. Stewardship. We need responsible, faithful stewardship. In the area of rest, we as leaders... We too need to take a day of rest and encourage our people to take a day of rest. When God said, six days shalt thou labor and the seventh day rest, he meant it. He knew it. He didn't mean it for just those days. It's true for today. We need rest. Yes, we can come to Jesus and he will give us rest. Take his yoke upon us. Learn of him, etc. But we also need to discipline ourselves and have a day off. And then, responsible stewardship in the area of keeping people free. Verse 31 of Nehemiah chapter 10 says, Every seven years, 
cancel all debt. Keep people free. See, the Jubilee year was a year of freedom when all who were indebted, their debts were paid for. Well, we know that's true for Jesus. He paid for all our debts and we are debt free from the point of view of sin. All gone, taken care of by Jesus. But teach the people also to keep themselves out of debt. That they shouldn't, if they was, that they would not purchase things or involve themselves in spending which they can't pay off in seven years. Every seven years, God's people were to be debt free. But also, faith responsible stewardship, I'm sorry I'm having to move on quickly, in service. Look at verses 32 and 30, through to 34 of chapter 10. The leaders and the congregation, responsible stewardship, that we need to be involved in serving God where God's called us with what God's given us in the areas God provides for us. I love what God has done with me as I've got older. I'm now 78 years old. But God has reminded me that while I'm in this body, there is Faith, there is still uh, fruitful work, fruitful labor for me to do. That God has promised me that even in my old age, I'll still be bearing fruit. God provides opportunities and we need to just take them with all of our hearts. Faithful in finances, verses 35 to 39. Tithes, offerings, almsgiving, all those things, apostolic giving, helping people, friends, neighbors, whatever it is, but that's for leaders as well as the congregation. And then in verse 31 tells us not to neglect the God's house, which to us is the church. So remember Haggai chapter 1, verses 2 through to 14. These people are saying, we work so hard, we've got, but our pockets are still empty, etc. It's because you put yourself in front of God and his house. Read that Haggai chapter 1 verses 2 to 14 for yourself again and remind the people from time to time. Well, we've got to come to an end and I've only got two more things I need to say here. I've looked and it's going a little longer than I wanted. They knew how to celebrate God's faithfulness in everything he advanced them in, that he did for them, that he brought them through. Here they are dedicating the wall and they're celebrating uh, they, they, they had overcome all the attacks, all the opposition, and eventually they'd rebuilt the wall. And Jesus gives us ongoingly victory and blessings every day. And we need to celebrate daily with songs of, uh, joyfully with songs of thanksgiving. Have a look at chapter 12, verse 31 and verse 42 as well. So when we come together to celebrate, there should always be well, can I say, when we come together to meet, there should always be an element of celebration for what God has done and what is God is doing and what God has given. There should be a sense of the 1 Samuel 7, 14, uh, 7 12. Ebenezer, thus far, so far, hitherto, has the Lord helped us. Every day, thank you, Lord, Ebenezer, you've brought me thus far. As a church, when we come together, we celebrate. Ebenezer, thank you, Lord. 
You've been with us. You've brought us this far. We're still together. We're still on the road. We're still serving you. We're still trusting you. We're still praising you. We still love you. We're still serving you. We love to do it. There's nothing else we could do. And I can honestly say, that's how I feel. There's nothing else I can do. I want to serve him. Think of and remind the people of what God has done, is doing, and will do into the future. Don't lose the anticipation of the future. Don't lose it by remembering the faithfulness of God that has brought us thus far. Celebrate. So many services, meetings, sometimes you feel like you're at a funeral. Even while we're singing songs that have joyful words, the way we sing them, the melody even, or sometimes just the attitude of the people, it's like, a, like you're at a funeral. We need to celebrate. So many of the songs today don't have that element of celebration in them anymore. But celebrate in your prayers, celebrate in your praise, celebrate by prophesying, celebrate in your preaching. Not the repetitive, same old, same old, same old. Celebration, your preaching. And then the last little thing I need to say, and we have touched it, they not only read aloud the word of God, but the Bible tells us they obeyed it, no matter how much it cost them. In chapter 13, verses 1, to th verses 1 2 and 3, some of them had married women from other nations, which in those days was forbidden. And Nehemiah tells them, you've got to separate. And that must have been costly. Thank God we don't have to do that today. But it does lay the principle and the foundation for the need to pay the cost and obey God's word no matter what it costs. Some of the things, just one of those things that God dropped into my heart while I was preparing this is like Titus chapter 3, verse 10. It says, mark a device of man. Warn him once, warn him twice, and after that, you've got to have nothing more to do with him. Now that man, that person could be a friend. Someone you've enjoyed, and now they become divisive. But you can't just live on as if that means nothing when God's word says even if this costs, you've got to let that person know that this is not all right. This isn't about, I'm going to get even. This is obeying God's word. In Romans chapter 16, verse 17, it says, watch out for those who cause division. And then it says, keep away from them. Costly. Well, It talks about, in verse 13, those who are considered trustworthy. Will you be trustworthy with God's truth that God took the time to record in the Word of God? This is not just historical facts. These are vital, life-giving, freedom-imparting, church-changing truths. And God wants you to obey him. And when you say yes, remember this. It's God who works in us, both to will and then to do of his good pleasure. He doesn't leave us to ourselves. By his spirit, he comes and helps us. God's blessing be upon you all. Faithful servants.
be, be faithful, trustworthy, love him, enjoy him, and enjoy what he's doing. And I look forward one day for us to be able to have a chat in heaven, look at each other and say, man, we went through some stuff down there on earth, but look at us today, look at Jesus, look at all this. I tell you what, it's going to be well worth it. God's blessing be upon you. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. Bye.